You're listening to the City Lights Church Podcast with Pastor Jesse Miller. This morning, um, I've known that I was going to be preaching this message for a while. Um, We're walking through a series. We really felt like the Lord wanted us to go through some of the very foundational things that we believe at City Lights and as as a Christian community, some of the core values that we have. And so we've been on this journey the last about two months, I guess now, and uh, we created a while ago, Jared and I, uh, this charismatic catechism, we called it, which is, you know, the catechize is simply to teach. It's not a Catholic word, it's a church word. Um, it's actually a biblical word, is to teach, um, to instruct. And so we created this charismatic catechism, and so we're kind of walking through that loosely. Um, I should get that available for you, that way you have it to take notes in or whatever. But this morning, um, I'm talking on something that I, I just realized I can't do in a week. And I honestly, I'm going to do it two weeks. I'm going to be talking, and I can't really fully do it in two weeks. And that's the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit, when I was thinking about the Holy Spirit, I thought of my daughters again, because um, as a dad, everything has to do with your kids. Um, and you can't be a pastor without kids, because then you don't have any illustrations. So I'm very thankful that God knew what I was going to do for a, a life and give me three kids, because they have a lot of stories. Um, but no, my three girls went... Whenever the oldest two, because the youngest is, you know, still a toddler, but the oldest two, when they're by themselves, when they're together, they make a, they're great friends, right? And, and it works really well. And sometimes what happens is either their cousin comes to visit or a friend comes over and all of a sudden, Faith, the middle one, is kind of like off in the corner by herself. She's my middle daughter and she kind of becomes like this like this recluse, like hermit over, like nobody's playing with her. And she's like, they're being mean to me. I'm like, no, you're just not talking to them. Like go hang out with them because they're not really being mean to you. And I think the same is true when it comes to the Holy Spirit in a sense that we, we understand and we can grasp the love of the Father, the, the creative goodness of the Father. And we get the work and the, sal- the salvation through Christ. And we see him clearly displayed in Scripture and in through the Gospels, right? But the Holy Spirit we struggle with. Um, and this is not like a new thing. You guys agree with me? Like the Holy Spirit is like that. Uh, Francis Chan wrote a book called The Forgotten God because the Holy Spirit, the church has done a horrible job at, at recognizing and, and internalizing and, and declaring. We forget about him a lot. And so the next two weeks, I really want to look at who the Holy Spirit is. And I don't claim to be able to fully give you everything about the Holy Spirit. I don't claim to be able to really release some kind of new thing on your life. I just hope, my prayer is that it will challenge you to reevaluate and to recognize your need for the Holy Spirit in your life and who he is. And maybe we can get rid of some myths as well, because I think there's a lot. Um, Last week, I had a great privilege to sit um, under the teaching of Dwight Smith. Dwight Smith is considered a missiologist, um, so he studies missional movement across the world, and he's 80, which he doesn't look like it. He's like a cool 80. You ever see a guy, and you're like, he's older than me and looks way cooler than I do? That's Dwight Smith. He's got, like, these awesome boots and a big old scarf and a cool jacket. I'm like, you're 79? You're cooler at 79 than I was in high school. Like, this is, this is sad. But Dwight Smith came and he spoke to a group of pastors, and it's pastors of all different denominations. Most of them are like Baptist and, and traditional Reformed type of settings. And he said this, he said, the church, we're just celebrating, how many of you guys know what we just celebrated as a church? The Reformation, 500 years, right? The, the Reformation, and 
it's, he said this, he's like, the church needs a new reformation in a certain, a couple different areas that we communicate on. One is our ecclesiology. So what is the church? We need to rethink what the church actually is. He's like, the other one is our pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit. We don't understand or communicate well the Holy Spirit, so we just neglect it. And he said about 100 years, and he's not charismatic, he's not Pentecostal. He said but about 100 years ago, when the Pentecostal revival started taking place, and the Holy Spirit was on the forefront of everybody's tongue, the other churches, instead of like having a good conversation and beginning to embrace and study and understand, they just like, whoa, 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 we don't want that. Like, we're freaked out. And so that's kind of been a traditional response. When you start talking about the Holy Spirit, you got the charismatics and Pentecostals are like, yeah! And then you have everybody else like, like, and this morning, I, I, I'm from Pentecostal background, a charismatic background, but I also went to a very reformed school, so I'm kind of like this, we can, we can dialogue here. We need the Holy Spirit. We do, okay? And there's wackiness in both sides of different denominations. You'll get a whack, wacky person in every church. Let me tell you this. The church has people in it. And people are weird. Like, they just are. I love you, but some of you are weird. Um, I'm weird. And so you'll get like a lot of extremes. And my, my desire to, over these next two weeks is so that we can begin to engage and see who the Holy Spirit is and what he wants to look like in your life. Make sense? And I, I really hope that you begin to process this. And we're going to kind of jump through a di- bunch of different passages this morning. Um, and I hope you're ready for a, a biblical ride. Is that all right? Actually, if I can say one more thing. So I had weeks to prepare this message, and I had a ton of notes, and I'm sitting in my office, and Mike came in, and he's like, what's wrong? I said, I think I'm preaching on something else today. The Lord, like, the Lord doesn't want me to preach on what I was going to preach on. So I'm preaching on the Holy Spirit, but from a different passage that I just looked at like two hours ago. So we'll see what happens. It's a ride today. Um, so we, we need the Holy Spirit, right? Exodus chapter 31. Let's go there real quickly. We're, we're only going to be there for a minute. Um, if you don't know where Exodus is, the Bible in the pew in front of you is yours, but don't even worry about turning there because we should have it on the screen. Exodus chapter 31. Like I said, we're going to be all over the place a little bit this morning. You guys still with me? I know that was a long intro and not really my normal style, but... Um, so Exodus chapter 21 This is after they've gotten out of, this is God's people, Israel. They've gotten out of Egypt. They're free. And they've got the Ten Commandments. There's all these great things where the Lord's showing up. And here we have the first example of the Holy Spirit coming on somebody in Scripture, right? Um, And it's not who you think it would be. Like if I was writing Scripture and if I was God, the first person that I put my spirit on would be somebody like, I don't know, Adam, the first guy I made, I don't know, Abraham, Jacob. But let's look at in this verse, and the truth is this, this guy, I don't even know if I'm saying his name right. That's how rare we hear him talked about. The Lord said to Moses, see, I have called by name Bazael, Bazael, whatever you want to say, it's fine. Son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for settings, in the carving of wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him that guy, oh, 
Helab, the son of Ashamach, right? I'm glad we don't name our kids these names. Of the tribe of Dan. That's a, that's a good one. I know Dan. And I have given to all able men ability, and, I, and that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand and all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, and the basin and its stands, and the finery worked garment, the fi- finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his son for their service as priest, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. What he's saying is, hey, the first person I'm putting my spirit on isn't the priest Aaron, and it's not you, Moses. The first time we see this is on the craftsmen who build the dwelling place for God. God says, if I'm building my house amongst you, which God's desire is to always come to us where we are to be with us, no other religion can give you a God that wants to be with you. You have to get to that God standing. He says, I'm coming to you. And God says, if I'm coming to you, and if I'm building a dwelling place, I'm putting my spirit not on you, the priest, or not on you, their leader, but on the craftsmen to have ability because I'm doing this thing right. Yesterday I was um, sitting on the living room floor uh, with Grace. She's what, 16 months, 17 months now. I'm, after a year, I just stopped counting the months. I'm like, when is it going to be two, okay? But anyway, so she's a toddler, and I'm like, oh, Grace, let me, let me get out your bag of blocks, we dumped the big black bag of blocks. And she's like, oh, that's her new face. She's always like, oh, like that's a hilarious face. So she's, she does that and she starts grabbing a blocks and she's like spreading them around. And I start taking these blocks. I'm making this awesome tower, right? And it's got like a porch with like a little room. It's like a little nook and a roof. I mean, these are, it's like this tall. I'm stoked about this. She sees it, comes over, grabs it from me. And I'm like, please don't, please don't. And she just throws it on the ground pieces. And I'm like, I just spent 10 minutes on that thing. Why, why did you do that? And so I made another one. She turns around and does the same thing. I stopped making things. I put them all back in the bag. I'm like, hey, clean up, clean up, everybody, everywhere. Like, I'm done. God here is saying, Moses, if I'm coming and building the house, it's going to be me on you who builds a house. Like, I want me to be represented well. I don't trust you to do this by yourself. I'm putting my spirit, or not some guy that you all esteem, but some random guy from the tribe of Judah, son of her, son of Uri, who can have my spirit on him and give him the ability to think clearly and to make a house that represents who I am. God, the first time we see the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit of God. In the Old Testament, we see it as the Spirit of God. In the New Testament, we see the Holy Spirit. Makes sense? Or Pentecostals like to call it the Holy Ghost. We like the word ghost better. I don't know. Whatever you want to call it, it's the same God. We believe at City Lights that there is one God who exists in three persons called the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit here, the first time we see clearly on somebody is here who is a craftsman, a worker. And it's because God wants him to be displayed clearly to those around. He comes on this workman. Second, or 1 Samuel chapter 10. I was reading this week I'm going through 1 Samuel and my personal stuff, and I came across this verse, and this is what the Lord told me to to really hit on this morning. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 10. What did I do with my... Oh, there it is. 
You guys good? Still with me? So, I love this story um, for a couple different reasons. We, you guys know David, King David, right? And then how many of you guys know Saul? When we think of Saul, we're like, oh, Saul. He was horrible. Um, but he didn't start that way. He was the first king of Israel, and God picked him for some specific reasons to be a king, to be the first king. And I want, I want you to see this story here where he is anointed king, and I just find something really fascinating. We're starting verse 1. Then Samuel, Samuel's the prophet, Samuel's the priest. He says, Then Samuel took the flask of oil and poured it on his head, this is Saul's head, and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hands of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found, and now your father has ceased to care about donkeys and is anxious about you. So Saul's out looking for donkeys. That's what's going on. And here he meets Samuel, and Samuel says this. This is what's going to happen. You're going to, say that, you're going to see that your dad's anxious about you, and they found the donkeys. What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there further and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to, the, to God at Bethel will meet you there. One carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. After that, you shall come to Gibath Elohim where there is a garrison of Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal. And behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. And when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of this place answered, Who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul among, also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. I want to stop there. I want to show you a few things that are happening in this passage. So Saul has been, I mean, just now declared king, like in the future. He's been anointed to be the king over Israel. And he's like, what? I was just out looking for donkeys. Like, what's going on here? And he... Samuel prophesies, this is what's going to happen. You're going to go to this place, and you're going to be told that, hey, your dad found the donkeys. He's looking for you. Then you're going to go to this place, and there's going to be different men coming to worship, coming to worship God, and they're going to have things that they're carrying with them. A few of the things that are in there is the loaf of bread, and the loaf of bread represents something that you would give. You would give two to the priests, right? 
And what do they do? What does Samuel say is going to happen? They're going to give two to you. You're going to be the priest. You're going to be the one taking a responsibility here. You're going to have this. There's a, there's a symbolic ushering of, of Saul into this new place in his position with God. But I love that he says, when you go there, you're going to start to prophesy. The Spirit of God will rush upon you. And what happens? The Spirit of God rushed upon Samuel, and he became a new man. And his heart was turned, and he began to prophesy to where other people who knew him were like, who is this guy prophesying? He's speaking the words of God. He's declaring over this area truth and revelation and insight from the Father. Who is this guy? So when they say, who is your father? They're saying, wait a minute, who is overseeing the prophets? Because now it looks like Saul is overseeing the prophets. Are you guys a part of following him or is he following you? There's a transformation that happens to this guy. If you look through Samuel, and man, I think I, think I want to preach on the life of Saul and David here soon. But if you look at Saul before he becomes king, he is honoring he is fearful of the lord he is fearful of people in the wrong way he is not the same saul who's throwing daggers and spears right there's a very different person here and the lord comes and he's like my spirit's gonna rush on you and you'll have a new heart you'll be a new man and you're gonna prophesy you're gonna speak life i want to show you something else though where did this happen where did this prophecy take place you shall come to Gibeath Elohim. That means the hill of God. Okay? You're going to come to the hill of God. And who's at the hill of God? A garrison of Philistines. Now, if you don't know your Old Testament history, Philistines don't like God. <laughs> they don't like Israel. They're the enemies. In fact, a few chapters before, we see them at war with Israel, fighting and destroying Israel. Here you have the hill of God where there's prophesying and worship, hearts, harps and lutes and lyres and whatever that stuff is. You have that happening on the hill of God, which is occupied by the enemy of God. This morning, what I want to say to you is sometimes the best place for you to worship is the hill of God that God has given you, but it's currently occupied by the enemy. That deserves a little more than a hmm this morning. There are hills in your life that God has declared are yours. They're the hills of God. There are areas of your lives that God has promised for you and for your inheritance, for your victory, and currently it's not a victory place. It looks like the place that Satan sets up refuge. It looks like the place of the enemy setting up refuge. And God says, go to that mountain, go to that place, worship me, and I'll pour my spirit on you, and I'll give you a new heart. Those are the best places to prophesy. Just like Mike was saying this morning, like if you've had a rough, frustrating day, week, then you don't sit and moan. You go to the hill of the Lord and prophesy in the midst of the Philistine camp. I, I love that. Like there's no, like I'm, I'm flipping through. I'm like, did the Philistines get mad? Like did they, like, because if I was a Philistine and I just fought with these guys and all of a sudden here comes these dudes, like playing their harps and speaking about the God that I don't like. If you flip back a few pages, when they find out that God's people are coming, they're terrified of the God of Israel. They're terrified of this, of this deity. They're fearful of him. They know that there's real power there. And here they are worshiping and prophesying, and there's a new heart that kindles in Saul here in this moment. See, the Old Testament, the Spirit of God, will come and rush on somebody for a work for a purpose, to transform hearts, to speak life, to prophesy, to show his temple, to reveal who he really is. In the New Testament, because of the work of Christ, the Spirit doesn't just come and sit on somebody, it dwells inside. 
What I, whenever you see, I want to encourage you with this. Whenever you're doing your personal time with the Word and in, in, in the Lord here, whenever you see the Spirit of the Lord in somebody in the Old Testament, say, it's better for me now. I have more authority and power now because he dwells in. He's not just sitting on. He's dwelling inside of us as believers. Make sense? I was listening to a message by Eric Johnson at Bethel. And he said this, he's like, the Holy Spirit is not something you apprehend. He's someone you surrender to. A lot of times in our language about the Holy Spirit, because he's confusing, we talk about pressing into the Holy Spirit, go get more of the Holy Spirit. And that's true. We can, we can receive more. But it's not like the Holy Spirit's a thing that we go and capture or we buy or we give like scriptural tokens in exchange for more of the Holy Spirit. Make sense? We don't buy him. We surrender and yield to him. Say, yeah, you're already inside of me because without that, I couldn't be a believer. It's the Holy Spirit inside that lets my heart come alive and receive the gospel. But it's the indwelling, it's the filling, it's the overflow that I get to yield and say, God, I want more Holy Spirit come out of me and less of Jesse Miller. The Holy Spirit is not something you grab, it's something you yield to. And I would say that the church nationwide has not learned to yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? Statistically, the church in America, on average, for every 30,000 Christians, we reach less than 0.1% with the gospel every year. That doesn't sound like a church empowered by the Holy Spirit, does it? And I want, I want us to begin to think this morning, like we have Old Testament examples of the Holy Spirit doing something, and it's on your average guy first, and then it's on a coward named Saul where they do incredible things to display God. How much more, because we're in the new covenant with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, can God do amazing things through you and I when we simply yield to him? Like, Holy Spirit, come have your way. Like, I'm not going to go trap you somewhere. I'm going to just surrender. I'm going to be in this position of openness. I'm going to get rid of pride, anxiety, fear, and all this confusion. Let me explain something. I think because of different things that we've seen about Pentecostals, Charismatics, whatever, we're afraid that if you yield to the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden it'll be like the great hypnotist and we'll be clucking like a chicken and speaking in tongues 24-7. That's not how the Holy Spirit works, right? The Holy Spirit doesn't just come in and like take over your body and like now you're going to look like an idiot. Like the truth is, if we're believers, we should all look like idiots all the time. We're foolish to the world, right? And that's okay. It's good. It should be good. Are you guys still with me this morning? Turn with me to John chapter 14. I want to give you a few more things about the Holy Spirit this morning. John chapter 14, start in verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells within you and will be in you. So right there, he's like, you already received me because the Holy Spirit's done something in your heart, but you'll know him more because he'll be in you, right? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Let's skip down to verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, 
whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, in that verse where it's translated helper, it could be helper, it could be comforter, it could be advocate. You see kind of the same imagery in, in the original text. You see, he, Jesus says to his disciples, hey, guys, I'm about to leave and I'm giving you the advocate, the comforter, the help, the comforter, yeah, the comforter, like comforter like he comforts your spirit, not comforter like you lay down in bed at night and stay warm because it's winter time. Like, different comforter. He's sending that. And I love that he's not just the advocate, not just the comforter, not just the helper for you in your life now, but he says, I'll teach, he'll teach you all the things I can't teach you and he'll remind you of the things I did teach you. That's good, right? Because if I'm like the disciples and Jesus is like, hey guys, I'm leaving, um, but I'm not going to leave you guys alone. The comforter's coming and he's going to tell you everything that I didn't even teach you and the stuff I did. Like if I'm a disciple, I'm like, sweet, I don't have to remember everything. Like I'm bad at taking notes. Like I'm sure Peter was, well, Peter, I don't think Peter ever took notes, did he? Like if we're honest, Peter was not a note taker. Probably Bartholomew, he might've been the note taker. I don't know, I'm just guessing. But like, I love that he's like, hey, I'm sending you someone that'll remind you of everything I've taught you and will teach you new things. So I'm not just piecing out and you're, you're on your own. I'm giving you somebody. And if I'm them, I'm probably thinking there's some other dude coming who's going to take Jesus' place. Because he doesn't quite say like the spirit, right? He says, I'm sending you the helper. He just calls him the helper. I'm like, thanks, Jesus. That's a little vague. Where, a little vague. Where, where does he live? What time is he going to show up, right? Jesus doesn't give that. He doesn't fully give them a full description of the Holy Spirit. He leaves it a little vague, and he says, this is what he's going to do in your lives. It's better for you. It's better for you. You're not going to be abandoned, and you'll be reminded of things. I love, there's a few times in my life where I've walked into a nervous, a very, a, a ministry situation that I knew I don't have all the answers for. Like, I just, like, there's some people who are grieving or going through brokenness. I can't explain away. I can't, in my own logical brain, like, I can't really help them. Like, I don't know what to say. But I simply say, Holy Spirit, give me words. And I always end up going into these situations, and the Holy Spirit gives me exactly what they need. He ministers in their hearts behind the scene and does something in mine. Like yesterday when I had to go pray with that family who's losing a loved one, I'm like, this is like the last thing I, I like to do. Like who, who's like, yeah, I love going to praying for people on their deathbed. Like, no, it's, it's a hard time. But the Holy Spirit is the comforter who gives words and brings things to my heart that all of a sudden, like they're asking me questions and I'm saying Bible verses and I'm saying things like, you know, we don't mourn like those who have no hope. Like, we're, we're all of a sudden, it's coming out of my spirit because he's indwelling in me. Make sense? Like, when we understand the work of the Holy Spirit, is not like Jesus is like, hey, I'm giving you a Bible and some ancient history lessons, and then it's all up to you to figure it out. Just like Alex said last week, it is the Holy Spirit who leads to salvation. He's the one who convinces the world of repentance, righteousness, judgment. He's the one who comes and does it, and we are simply just vessels. Let him do the work, whatever it is. And I can count on him to remind me of things that I forget. I don't remember the verse that Haley was saying yesterday, right? How do I remember what I learned in biblical hermeneutics in 2004 at Lancaster Bible College? I have no clue what that class was about, just being honest. I'm going to edit that out of the podcast. Can I, tell, can I make an honest confession? Like, 
Like, I'm doing great in my classes right now. Like, the Lord's really given me a good heart, and I got it. But in 2003, I failed my first class ever, and it was called God and the Bible. And I'm your pastor, right? <laughs> and I don't say that to brag. I say that to say simply, thank God for the Holy Spirit. I failed God in the Bible. I took it again and passed it the second time. It was a lie. Anyway. Like, that's what, that's what the whole Christian faith is. I'm going to use the weak people of the world, give them the Holy Spirit, and let them display me and change the whole world. Like, that is the power of the Holy Spirit. If you don't get anything I say this morning, you can't go by the Holy Spirit. You can simply yield to him, and it has nothing, nothing to do with your position, your family heritage, your whatever. It has nothing to do with that. Amen. Nothing to do with that. John chapter 16, verse 7. This is what Alex preached a little bit last week. Nevertheless, I'll tell you the truth. It is your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. This is where I want to look at this morning. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He tells his disciples here. So a few chapters later, so he says, hey, I'm sending the helper. He's going to remind you of all the things that I said, I said. And then he tells them here, and I love this. I love this. He's like, hey, guys, you, I know you love me, but it's better that I go and him come because I can't teach you certain things right now. I can't reveal certain truths to you. You're not ready for it yet. But when he comes, his job is to reveal things that I haven't said yet. And he's only going to say what glorifies me and he hears from the Father. He's only going to give you God's word. He's only going to give you perfect revelation. Let me say this. There are revelations that, that Peter hasn't heard that are still to come for the church today. I'm not saying we're writing new scripture. I'm saying God's constantly doing new things. And if we want to know what he's doing or what he's currently doing or about to do, we need to be listening to the truth of the Holy Spirit. Completely surrender. God, what are you doing right now? What are you doing? How are you revealing yourself? God is constantly revealing himself in new and different ways. That's exciting stuff. So you guys are like doubtful. I don't think so, Jesse. I think he's done it once and the show's over. No, no. Or we'd be gone. We'd be raptured or whatever you believe about that. The end would have come if he was done working, but he's not done working. He's trying to invite you into this thing. He's saying, come, look, receive the Holy Spirit. Be filled with it. Be continually filled. Let me say this. So there are people with different thoughts on the whole filling of the Holy Spirit. But Acts chapter 2, we see that the Holy Spirit comes in tongues and, and there's fire on their heads and they're prophesying and people are being added to. And the same people who were in that moment, it happens again in chapter 4 to a new level. Those same people who are already doing the work through the Holy Spirit, boldly declaring the goodness of God, the salvation through Jesus, they come and they get a new filling of the Holy Spirit in chapter 4. 
You and I, we come to faith through, in Christ through the working of the Holy Spirit inside of us. He's dwelling inside of us. But yet we, can, we need to learn to yield our whole lives to new fillings, new outpourings, so that we can do the new work in front of us. There is new work for you in this city, in this season, and you will not be able to do it in your own strength. You will only be able to do it when you are yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit filling and flowing out of you. The Holy Spirit, let me, see, we get, we get really weird with the Holy Spirit sometimes. Um, there's a verse that talks about the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Like, not sealing like that, the sealing, like a seal on an envelope. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not like a Sam's Club membership card. Like, oh, well, the Holy Spirit dwells in me. Here's my Holy Spirit card. I'm a Christian. Right? That's not all he is. Like, that's true. Like, the Holy Spirit does it so now we become Christians. But the Holy Spirit is a living deity that constantly wants to do things in your life. We don't wield the Holy Spirit like a club card. We submit to him. We submit to his presence. Make sense? We have to get rid of that thinking. Finally, I want to read this passage. Worship team, if you want to come forward. Same chapter, verse, verse 12. I actually just did, did read this. Talking about him being a person, um, we typically say, and I, I said it like a hundred times this morning, we say Father, Son, or God, Jesus, and then we say the Holy Spirit. The church that I'm from, uh, before we moved up here, uh, Harvest Chapel in Abbottstown, our pastors there, Pastor Don and Lori, were very intentional to remove the word the from Holy Spirit. They would say, oh, we're praying Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Like, we're going to ask Holy Spirit to come. Because what we do is that little verb that we, or the little word, what is it? It's not a verb. Part, article. You guys are good, see? Like, you guys and your grammar stuff. That's great. <laughs> that, little, that little article we put right there in front tends to make it something distant and not personal. Like the table, the pew, the microphone, the Holy Spirit. And the truth is that we're invited to a relationship with Holy Spirit. We're invited to an indwelling, to an outworking of Holy Spirit. And I know it's hard for, for us to change our language. And I don't say you, I'm not saying you have to. I don't half the time. But I think we've got to change the way we think. We need a reformation in our minds about Holy Spirit, don't we? We need to start, like, really yielding, waking up and say, <laughs> okay, this could be controversial depending on where you're from, but Benny Hinn wrote a book called Good Morning, Holy Spirit. And it's like that mindset, I wake up, I say, Holy Spirit, Hello, what what are you doing in me today? Fill me, flow through me, give me new revelation. I love this passage, chapter 16, right here, verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, all truth. Jesus, the the Holy Spirit's job is to guide us in the truth. And doesn't that sound great? Like, if there's more truth and revelation available, I want it. I want it. I want it. So I yield to it. I say, Holy Spirit, give me more truth. Give me more revelation. I want to know your heart better. 
I want to keep seeing more of your glory, more of your, your beauty. Father, show me more of your hand. I love that Jesus constantly tells us we're not slaves just doing the work of the Father, but we're sons now, we're friends of God, and he's revealed himself to us. And he's constantly revealing himself to us. And the way that we get it is through Holy Spirit in our lives. If he's revealing truth, we have to understand truth. I, I was reading this, and I would encourage you guys to pick this up at some point. This is one of the first times I ever heard of Bill Johnson, and this book rocked me. It's called Face to Face with God. I just realized this morning, we have a new and updated version over there that I've not read yet, so get it before I buy it, because mine doesn't have as many pages as that one. But in it, he says, he says this, he's like, Truth, truths that are not experienced are simply theories. So concepts that we understand biblically about God, but without the experience, the revelation of the Holy Spirit, they're just theories. They're just theories about who God is. I don't want theories about what God's doing. I want truths about what God's doing. I want all truth. I don't want theory. I believe that God is doing something in this church and through this church and in this city but I want to see the kindling of the Holy Spirit come alive in us and through us to where it's no longer just a theory, but it's a reality. It's a truth claim. Make sense? Like, I fully believe that this city can be rocked for Jesus in every way. I believe that the finances of the city, that the politics of the city can be boldly marked by the goodness of God. But we need the power of the Holy Spirit to make it a reality and to reveal us new levels of insight. Make sense? Let's stand. This morning I want to ask you, I want, I want to encourage you to go on a journey with me to rediscover the Holy Spirit. Let's make him a priority in our prayers. Let's make him uh, something that maybe, maybe you don't fully understand it because the truth is I don't fully understand the Trinity. It's a difficult concept to grasp, right? Like I don't fully grasp these things. But I'm asking, Holy Spirit, lead me and guide me into all truth because I want to see the city, the city changed. I don't want it to be where it is. Like, I'm, I'm not good with that. I'm not good with family issues that I don't have insight for. I'm not good at brokenness and sickness in my family. I'm not good with this. I want Holy Spirit to come reveal and heal and change and break through and deliver and empower and embolden and declare himself. I want to be, I love this. What's the temple of the Holy Spirit now? Or what's the temple of God now? Yeah, us. If you guys didn't know that, you haven't been paying attention recently. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not a building that that guy that I can't pronounce made with stones and gems and gold and, and seats and curtains and walls. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But to fully manifest who God is, you need the indwelling. You need the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life or you're going to man manifest you. Which you're cool but you're not God. <laughs> but you're called to be a temple. This morning, I, I, we're going deeper. Like I said, I can't explain everything in one service, and I'm not going to explain it all next week either. But I, I hope that we're in a pursuit together where we recognize our need for Him because without the Holy Spirit, we're just messy people that God saved for an eternal glory cloud. But the Holy Spirit is what empowers us right now. I ask you, have you yielded to Him have you yielded to him to make his presence known and seen wherever you are? Have you yielded to him so that you now can begin to prophesy and declare God's truth in a situation on that hill of God that's currently occupied by enemy forces? 
Are you prophesying because you've yielded yourself over to the Holy Spirit? Are you yielded to the Holy Spirit to where in tough situations you remember the words that Jesus said, the words of this book that bring truth and life? And are you yielded to the Holy Spirit to where He is giving you fresh insight, fresh bread for every day of your life? That's the question you and I have to walk out and ask ourselves. And this morning as we worship, I want, I want you to simply say in your own heart, God, Holy Spirit, be more real than you were today. Be more real in, in me than you were yesterday. That's the journey that we're on. Let's worship together.